Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. I'm excited to get into this and into this um, chapter as Maybe you're here today, or maybe you're going to be watching this, and you're like, wait, how come he's on chapter three? What happened to one and two? Uh, we've been here for uh, four sessions already together, uh, four sessions in which we've gone through the book of Colossians, and we've taken our time to really study the book of Colossians and, um, and share it uh, in truth, and um, in truth, um, as I love how Rizzo said it, to give us um, this understanding and knowledge, but also to bring forth transformation in our lives as the word of God does. And um, I'm just excited to this uh, in this chapter as we get into this. Our series is titled Jesus um, versus everything. And I love how Omar came up here and we'll get into this later. And he was like, it's, you know, Jesus versus everything. And if you come to think about it, it really is Jesus over everything. And um, it's been just a, such a beautiful time together in the book of Colossians. Hopefully you've been ministered and blessed uh, by this letter to the church that was meeting in Colossae. Amen? So we're going to continue that. Um, Just a little update. Last week, uh, what a blessing it was just to be away and uh, to really enjoy uh, ourselves, uh, to get away, me and Nancy, as we were able to just to to celebrate one another and celebrate her birthday. And uh, not that the kids are anything, they're they're a blessing, but it's so important that we were able to do that without kids. And just to go and really relax and enjoy each other and enjoy um, a little bit of the air where we were at for a few days. So it was so refreshing. So, so amen. Thank you guys for those that were praying for us and all that. We're glad to be back into the hustle of bustle of what is Miami. Uh, but it was a, a time of refreshment for us. So we're just, we're just um, very um, honored that we were able to do that and, um, and really have people that could take care of our kids while we're able to do that. So I know, I know that we're blessed. So, um, but as I was uh, driving and all that, I was truly grateful for the teaching that Omar brought last week in our series, Jesus versus everything. I hope you were blessed by that message. Um, as he got into chapter two of Colossians, he really hammered uh, these important truths. And I encourage anyone uh, that hasn't had time, you weren't here, you haven't been able to hear it, uh, to go back and hear last week's message in chapter 2 of Colossians or any other section of our series, Jesus versus Everything. Maybe you haven't heard any of it yet or you missed some of the parts. Please go back and hear it sometime this week because really if you, if you start from the beginning, you'll see how they're all closely related and plugged into one another. Um, it's hard to separate one chapter from another um, rather than just enjoying the flow of what Paul is writing. So make sure you, you go ahead and do that um, at some point. So um, hopefully your Bible is open to Colossians chapter 3, your smart device, whatever it is that you read on. And as we enter into chapter 3 today, we're going to have a good time. But also, as I was praying earlier, we also enter and we're dealing here in our nation once again with a harsh reality. And um, I think that was exactly when we got back. We were actually at Texas. We landed. We turned on the television. And the next day we see, boom, there was this um, shooting. So 
it, it was, you know, in the same state that we were at, obviously not the same town or same city. But we are here again and we see something else that's happened. And it's this reality, you know, when you turn on the television or you get updates on your phone. And it's a reality that evil lives. Evil lives on this earth. And we need to, we need to come to understand that. We, we need to understand that, that, there, that there are forces in this world that are against one another. And, and I think that the sooner we understand this, uh, the sooner we'll start to fight properly in this battle that we're caught to fight in. We need to understand that there's a battle between good and evil, between darkness and light. And what we're seeing is it's not just our battle, but our very own children are in the forefront of this battle as well. As you just saw in Texas, these children are f just fought a battle and will continue to fight the survivors a battle for the rest of their lives because evil was done before them. Do you understand that? And you may have experienced it in your own life, a traumatic event in your own family. Someone that you thought was supposed to love you caused such pain in your life and today you still carry that. Evil, evil lives on this earth and at times what it does is it manifests itself in some of its most painful ways. The shooting in Buffalo weeks before in the supermarket that one gunman came in fully armed and fully prepared he came into a supermarket, murdered innocent lives that just went in to go shopping for groceries that day. And then days pass and we see yet again another shooting and a murder of teachers and elementary students in Texas by, by an 18-year-old, and I won't say old, but an 18-year-old young man that did this. And, you know, I started to think about introducing chapter 3 and I said there's no way I could just ignore what we're facing. I think it would be an injustice. So one of the things that many will do is they will immediately come to blame or come against the view of Christians. Do you know that? If you say God is real, why the heck did 19 people and little kids that were in fourth grade die in such a harsh way? How do you answer that? Because that's a reality. Our faith gets attacked when evil manifests, manifests itself in this manner. How do we answer these individuals when they come to us? Or are we get crushed and then do we begin to lose faith? Or do we become like the rest of the world? And I guess my encouragement would be this right here. And it's to the church. And it's this, to never blame God. Don't blame God for this. This is the, this is the, 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 the manifestation, this is the, this is the act of darkness and evil. Did God have part of it? I don't believe as I study and read scripture that God has and had any part of it. Once whatsoever, since the beginning of time, evil has always happened. Go to one of the beginning of the stories in the Bible and you'll see that one brother named Cain got jealous of his other brother um, named Abel and he murdered him. He murdered him in the field and the parents had to deal with one brother killing, one son killing another son. Parents by the name of Adam and Eve, maybe you've heard of them. It's always been there. 
Evil is in this world. That is why there's a promise to the believers that we're in it, but in this evil, we're not of it. We're from a whole other dimension, a whole other kingdom. Our reality is heaven, and what we want to do as Christians is, is to get as much people out of this evil world and get them into a place where they're going to enter into eternity with Jesus. So we can't blame God and don't ever let anyone else come before you and blame God. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 through 21, I want to read it to you because I was brought to this scripture when the shootings happened and I thought it was a, a, just such an interesting passage. It says this, we know that we are from God. How many of you can say amen? We know that we are from God. But look what it says next. And the whole world... We know we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Like, I read that verse this week, and I said, wow, that's such a, what an interesting verse that is. <laughs> we know we're from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's almost drawing a line. There's those that are of God and those that are controlled by the power of the evil one. When I read this verse, I, I, I come to understand that there's a line drawn on the sand. And it's this, that in this world, there are two kinds of people. Are you ready? There are sons of obedience and sons of disobedience. There are those that are of God, and then there are those that are not of God. When I say sons, I'm covering sons and daughters, obviously. And, and, and I think it's so interesting that... This one verse is so powerful. We know we're from God. Amen. But listen to this. The whole world, as we know from God, lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God, that's the one that we're from, has come and he's given us understanding. So, so we're from God. The world lies in evil. But God, as we're in an evil world, gives us the ability to understand the days that we're living in. The Christian who doesn't understand is because they're outside of what God is trying to do. They're outside of the truth of the word of God. They're outside of the presence of God because the Christian that recognizes the evil in the world also comes into the place of the presence of God where they're from God and God has given them understanding in the time that they're living in. God has given us understanding. He's giving me understanding. He should be giving you understanding in the time that we're living in. Look what he says. So that we may know him who is true. Why is he saying this? Because, there's a, because truth is being uh, 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 um, contradicted or it's, it's being, uh, it's, false is coming against it. If you're going to speak of truth, why speak of it? Well, because the world is full of evil. It's full of False. It says, and we are in him who is true in the son of Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Verse 21. Little children, as he writes this, he does not write to the little children. He is speaking to the church. He is speaking to the beloved. He is speaking as a spiritual leader to sons and daughters in the faith and he says little children as if he is saying my sons my daughters as if he is saying those that I love look what he says next he says keep yourselves from idols after saying all of these things the new living says it this way keep away from 
anything that may take God's place in your heart's idols. Why is this so important, this passage? Because it's very easy to catch the rhythm of this world that our heart starts to turn to other things, that our heart starts to get infected and we start to place other things in our hearts. And what happens is we begin to lose the purpose and the understanding of God in a present age where there is evil in this world. So what do you do? Guard your heart now, church, more than ever. Why? Because it's, it's happening much more quicker than it ever has. Much more accessible, much more quicker. And what are we doing? We're guarding our hearts because of the days that we're living in. It happened to them. It, could, it, it can so happen to us. It can so happen to our children. What do you think I did the first day? Do you know that we live in a world, I'm, I'm off chapter three, I, that we live in a world that the next day I had to go to my children's school and I was scoping everything. That's this, they're doing all of this wrong, all of this. Look at this, right now I could come in here, I could kill all these people. I became the killer. And I said, wow, we live in that time that we have to think like this. How sad. And I know I'm not the only one. I know I got a bunch of crazies like you <laughs> that have done that. But that's just so you can understand. So what do I have to do? I have to come to the place of God because I'm not going to go crazy. As crazy as I already am. 1 John 5 is such a powerful passage. There's so much more that we could talk about this. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 gives us this beautiful reminder in verse 14. He says this, For God will bring every deed into judgment. Look what he says. With every secret thing, whether it's good or whether it's evil. That's a powerful passage. So, I, I mean, we, we understand the evil. We understand that the times we're in. We may not understand what brought that 18-year-old. We may not understand all these other different things, the, the depth of what was going on and, and that caused all of this. But, but, but here it is. I get this, that whether good or evil, everything will stand before God who sits on his throne. And God will have to judge and God will have to give an answer. God will, will, will speak into every single one of those things. And the great man of wisdom writes that in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So you know what? I rest on that. I rest that God is still ruling and reigning and sits on his throne and brings judgment. And all I want to do is fall under that authority and say, you are in control. Just give me the wisdom and understanding to do the best that I can to be well on this earth and that my family could be well on this earth. Other than that, I have no control. He's in control. Amen? So it's a time to remember this truth. And it's time to understand this evil in our present age. So let's go to chapter 3 because we're in this evil in our present age. And look what chapter 3 verse 1 says. Let's actually read verses 1 through 4 just to get into the chunk of what is being introduced here. After everything that I just said, verse 1, he says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, watch how it relates to what I just said. Since you have been raised, resurrection, you've received resurrection. He says, now set your sights on the realities of heaven. How many of us has it been hard to set our sights because of our own personal pains, because of our own personal problems, or because of the problems within our very own nation? It's been hard, but here is Paul writing to the church of Colossae as if he's writing to the church of Nest right here in the middle of our time, and it's almost very in tune with what we're in today, and he says this, 
If you've received resurrection in Christ, then remember this, you set your sights on the realities of heaven, not on what's on earth. I get what's got you as you bogged out. Put your eyes back on Jesus. Put your eyes back on heaven. Look what he says, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse two, he says to think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. You might be like, well, that's hard. How do I ignore? It's not telling you to ignore it. It's where does your mind rest on? Understand the day we're living in. Understand the present age. But it doesn't mean that your mind rests there. Your mind is to rest. The thoughts of your mind are to be on the things of heaven, he says, not on the things of this earth. Why? If you, like me, have ever done this, have you gone days upon days putting your mind on the things of the earth and all it's done is bring turmoil into your brain? Turmoil into your spirit. And you're so overwhelmed. You can't even breathe. Have you been there? It's probably because of this one thing. You haven't set your eyes on heaven. Your mind has actually been functioning and resting upon the things of this earth rather than on the things of Christ. And because of that, we're not doing and giving the proper medicine to what, it need, to what is needed in there. And we're giving it to the world and we're giving it to the system and to the evil because we started in 1 John 5 that the whole world lies in the power of evil. Look what it says. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Verse 3, for you died to this life. And now look at your real life is now hidden with Christ in God. I love that my life, my real life is hidden in Christ. It's almost like, it's like, I don't know, concealed, hidden, protected. It's in Christ. I'm protected in Christ. He holds me. And he says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Such a beautiful passage how he starts off. So let's get into this. In these four verses, immediately, hopefully you see this, we see that there is hope. You're probably like, where? Where was the hope? When I read these first four verses, immediately I see that there is hope. There is hope for the believer and there is hope to anyone that comes to trust in the Lord. And I want you to see that very clearly. We see in these verses that there is to be, write this in your notes, there is to be an alignment to our vision and also to our mind. There's homework to do. There's... There, Paul is writing this to Colossae, but look what it means to us here. Put to work your vision and put to work your mind. Like, truly examine it. And hopefully Christ gives you understanding of where you're, you're, what you're focused on, what your vision is, and what your mind is on. Make sure it's aligned properly. Make sure it's in its proper place. And I read that, and I'm, I'm talking to you about hope. When I say this, that in these verses, there's to be an alignment in the mind and in our vision, I don't believe it's something that is to be done once. I, I do believe that it's something that we must train ourselves daily to do as an athlete trains for competition. As a boxer trains for his fight. No boxer says, oh, I love the title card and I go fight on this date and never trains for it. But it's a, it, the work in the ring... <laughs> 
is actually done through the months of preparation before he ever gets in the ring. If not, when he gets into the ring without preparation, without aligning his body, his mind, everything to get ready for the ring, he will be beaten and destroyed in competition. The believer is no different. You are in competition. And one is in competition for your mind and for your soul. So what do you do? Set your mind and your heart on the things of Christ. Begin the process of preparation because when competition comes, they're going to knock you out. If you're into any kind of fighting, any kind of training, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't just go fight. You go prepare. And as you prepare, what do you do? You learn your weaknesses and you learn your enemy. Paul is really drawing something special out to the church of Colossae. And it's not one time that you do it to prepare yourself to fight. It is a process. It is a daily, daily thing that you do with your life. To what? To fix my focus. To what? To fix my mind. How many of you, don't raise your hand. But you need to fix your mind. And you need to fix your focus. Well, I'm waiting for, no, you do it daily. And that's exactly what Paul is telling the church. Paul says that we would set our sights on the realities of heaven. Or another translation, that we would seek the things that are above where Christ is. How many of you spent the day yesterday? What did you guys do? Like, seriously, like, what did you do? Think about what you did. How was seeking the things that are above in Christ in everything that you did yesterday? With the persons you did it with yesterday? The good, the bad, like what, what did you do just yesterday? And how were you in seeking the things that are above in Christ? Do you see the weight of scripture in this? So this is dealing with our eyes and what we focus on. Our eyes, our focus cannot and should not be set on the things of this earth. How many of you, like me, will um, admit it is difficult at times? Where our mind, or, or let's talk about the eyes, our focus should not and cannot ever be on the things of this earth. The things that perish Remember that car when you first got it? You took care, I mean, some of you still do it. You're 10 on your car and you still take care of that thing. And that's good, you have a gift. <laughs> but you know the person that just like, when they first get their car, no, no fast food in the car. Can't have it smelling like oil. Like fat. Let's just be honest. <laughs> no, I gotta make sure I take. But then like time goes on and like that new thing, now I was like, ah, I just want the newer, the newer version of it. It's like the iPhone. I can't fall. It can't, my kids can't even touch it. Two years pass, I'm throwing it across the living room. If they drop, yeah, it's okay. It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's, no, it's not the 13, it's only the 12. I really want the 15 already and it hasn't come out. I saw a sneak peek of it. And that's how we live. That, that, that's, that's, that's what we're set of, up to in this earth, to live like that. But the, the truth is, and I'm just being silly and comical with, with those illustrations, but it's things that are deeper than that. Things that perish. Don't set your eyes on the things that perish. Yeah, you may love it today, and then tomorrow, oh my God, I can't believe I gave so much importance to that. And you're like, right. It's a perishing item. 
things that, that may have temporary value, but listen to this, but in the scale of eternity, it has no degree of importance. Our sight needs to be on heaven. Everyone say when. Now, more than ever, it needs to be on heaven. It needs to be because, here's some examples. Your eyes need to be set on heaven because what will we say when someone dies? How will we counsel them? Man, I'm talking, and I want you to know this, ready? I am talking to the deepest place of your core when I ask these questions. Because guess what? I had to ask these very same questions to myself. So if I had to beat myself over these questions, I'm going to lovingly beat you over these questions. Ready? Why do I have to set my mind on the things above? Well, when someone dies, how will I, how will we ever be able to counsel them if our eyes are not set above? When a child dies, way before we may believe may be their time, what comfort will we give those parents? When someone is given a diagnosis that will change their life forever, is there worth in your words for them? Listen to this. Or when someone is in a lifestyle, maybe it's a struggle, maybe it's an addiction, a difficulty that you can't relate to, but they can. It's their lifestyle, it's their difficulty, it's their struggle, but you can't relate to it. How will you have the heart of Christ and show empathy and minister to their spirit if your eyes are not fixed on Jesus? You'll just become another racist, another bigot, and another homophobe, another whatever you want to call it, and you'll be no different than the world. Because the heart of Christ is not in you. Was that too much? And that is what Paul, that is what Paul is saying. That's what he's teaching. If our eyes are not set on Jesus, how can I? And the answer is I can't. And we can't, you can't, unless we are diligent to set our sights on the things of heaven unless we set our minds on the things that are above and not of this earth. This deals with our sight, but this also deals with our mind. Our sight, how we focus on, what we focus on, and on our mind on what we think. Please listen to this. Hopefully you're taking notes what our mind rests on, what it comes to believe in. Here's a good way of looking at this verse. What are the thoughts, your mind, what are the thoughts that shape your biblical view in, in all matters, whether here on earth or in heaven? <laughs> your mind is very important because there comes your thoughts and are your thoughts towards whatever it is are they even biblical? Do you have a biblical worldview in all things that you are living in? This deals with all of these things. 
And then all of this to say, we have the hope of this world. We are hopeful in a world that is filled with hopelessness. I love how Eugene Peterson in his message translation uh, translates verse three. Look at this. We'll put it up here. It says, don't shuffle. Remember verse three? He says it this way. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. But look up and be alert to what is going around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Love it. Amen. Good scripture there in verses one through four. So, so what we see here in these verses and what's being introduced is, if you remember, we, I wrote this down uh, somewhere. We, we spoke about uh, personal um, intercession or something like that. Um, we talked about uh, also um, um, instruction. But, but, but that's kind of what I want to talk about today as Paul begins to give practical instruction uh, we see ourselves moving from, oh, doctrinal, that's what it was, doctrinal information we talked about. And, and we spoke about doctrinal information the, the first few weeks. Omar kind of um, closed that off. And now he begins, Paul, as he writes, to introduce practical instruction. In verses one through four, we see this. During this time, let's, let's understand the writing of this letter and the author. During this time, there's false teachers in the church, like our church, but there's false teachers in Colossae. And what they're doing is, remember this, they're swaying believers in Colossae to aim at something, not to aim at heaven, not to aim at the things of Christ. That's why Paul's addressing this. The false teachers are confusing the other Christians and they're telling them to aim at temporal, temporal or temporary practices and traditions. It's called legalism. There's nothing wrong with the church that tells you to, hey, if you come into the church, please take off your hat. I mean, I'm not bashing them. But that's legalism, for example. It, I think God sees past that. I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to say, oh my God, Rizzo's wearing a hat today on Sunday. There's no way I'm going to move amongst their assembly because he wore the shorts that passed his knees or the one that had the rip on the bottom. I, I mean, I think the Holy Spirit's going to look at the heart and move. So what happens is they were fixed on practices and tradition. We spoke on Jewish legalism, things that would fall under this word legalism. We spoke about um, Gnostic mysticism. We spoke about religious asceticism. And Paul continues to address some of these things. And in this letter, in this chapter, he's giving instructions to the Colossians to concentrate on the eternal realities of heaven, not on the things of this earth, just like I'm doing with you. And he's coming because he's attacking the asceticism from these religious people. He's attacking this mysticism um, from Gnostics. And he's attacking the legalism from the Jewish people. And he's really drawing the church of Colossae to a deeper truth in Christ. And he says, since you've been raised with Christ, look how he starts in chapter 3. Then we seek those things that are from above. We set our sights on the realities of heaven. Not seek the things of this earth. This is about growing. Everyone say growing. 
What are you to grow in? If you're to grow in anything, it's good to study, it's good to learn, get your master's, get your doctorate, double in master's, double in your doctorate, do whatever you need to do. Those things are good, but it's not better than growing in the knowledge of Christ. If there's anything that we should be growing in is growing in Christ. You could grow in medicine, you could grow in all kinds of things, but if you're not growing in Christ, you're just growing in the things that will perish. And that's what he's saying. You're all growing in this mysticism and legalism and all these different things. But this is talking about growing in the knowledge of Christ to truly seek first the kingdom of heaven. And we've already learned this here in, the, in our series. I'll prove it to you. In chapter 1, woof, weeks ago, verse 10, I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. We read this verse and we studied this verse. So, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, we're called to live fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's Colossians chapter one. We're increasing in the knowledge of God. In every good work, we're bearing fruit. The things of Christ Growing in that is most important. Chapter 2, verse 6. When we were in chapter 2, we read this verse. I'll read it to you. I'll actually read you, uh, I believe, 6 and 7. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, watch what it says next. You walk in him. So walk in him. And you rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Do you see the process of growing in Christ? So amen, this is so important, these few verses here. And since we've been raised with Christ, how many of you can say, I've been raised in Christ? I was perishing, I was lost, I was broken, I was hurt, I was, I was filled with unforgiveness, but I've come to the reality that the Lord has forgiven me and set me free and, and saved me. I've been resurrected in Christ, amen. If Christ has raised you, then what's the truth after that? Then you should act just as Jesus did when he resurrected. So what does that look like? Well, here are some examples. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus left the tomb. Remember that? That was the whole Easter stuff. Remember Easter? It was not that long ago. We could do it again. Jesus left the tomb. So what do we do? So should we. We don't live there anymore. Why do we go back and visit the dead? Another example, after his resurrection, Jesus spent his remaining time being with and ministering to disciples. So should we. We live our lives to be with and to serve one another. Resurrection. It says after his resurrection, Jesus lived in supernatural power. The ability to do the impossible, impossible things. And, and so should we. With the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit, what are we doing for the kingdom of heaven? After his resurrection, Jesus looked forward to heaven, knowing that he would soon enough ascend there. And, and, and here it is. So should we, recognizing that our citizenship is in heaven. How many of you have been raised with Christ? Do we live as Christ lived? Verse 3, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, and when Christ, everyone say when Christ. Comma, when Christ, who is your life, say, who is my life? When Christ, who is my life, is revealed, the whole world, you will share it in all his glory. I, I want you to see this verse. I, I thought about my son, Jackson. Check this out. This is, this is interesting. 
my son has this saying now. Uh, he has the same because it's his new, due to his new fascination with basketball. My son, if you saw, he came to church with a little basketball in his hand. He will walk out of here, and as soon as I say amen, he starts to bounce the ball off the roof and starts to dribble. He eats, he slips, sleeps, drink, I mean, the whole way over here. It's so weird. We're just there, and that, yes. Um, do you know number two that we played like two weeks ago? Doesn't he remind you of number 15 from the Boston Celtics? You know, like the way he, and I'm just like, oh, I looked at him, I was like, God. All he thinks about is basketball. I can't get, it's like all the time. He has this famous saying, maybe you've heard him say it. If you're close to Jackson, he said it to you already. He says this, basketball is my life. He loves to say it now, basketball is my life. Basketball is my life. Look, look what Paul says here. When Christ who is your life, <laughs> Jackson's walking around like basketball is my life. He came to church with the basketball, dribbling it. Um, I was up here with Vanessa and Miho. We were trying to talk and Jack was bouncing the ball. That right, I had to turn around and say, Jackson, can you do me a favor? Can you go outside and bounce the ball out there? I'm having a conversation. Basketball is my life. <laughs> Paul's addressing this. We're laughing at my son. And I do that with a good heart, and I'm glad that he likes basketball because I like it too. But, but I think about this, and how many people have said that? Oh, music is my life. Food is my life. My husband, that's my life. My children are my life. My job, that's my life. Money is my life. Vacation is my life. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You've heard, you've said it. You've heard someone say it. Food is my life. I think I've said that one already. And, and people say all these things, but when we read verse 4, come on, follow me here. When we read verse 4 to the Christian, it should be said, Christ is our life. Like Jackson with the basketball, everywhere he goes, in the car, speaking about number 15, from his league two days, to number 2, sorry, from his league two weeks ago, how he looks like number 15 from the Boston Celtics today, and it's constantly in his mind. Why? Because he's in love, he's fascinated, and that which he's in love with is always in his mouth, and that which is in his mouth and in his heart, he's always what? Acting out on it. If only the Christian was so in love the way Jackson is in love with basketball, we would change the world. We will be talking about Jesus all the time. Hey, dad, do you know, like, you know when Jesus resurrected Lazarus, isn't it the same? As, like, can you imagine if Christians would come to the place where we could truly live as Christ is our life? There's a lot of other things that I do, but Christ is my life. And that's what he's telling the church of Colossae to the believer, Christ is your life. I get you want to make some money. I get you want to grow up the ladder, of cor the corporate ladder of America. I get you want to do all these great things. I get you want to have the American dream and the beautiful family. And I get all these things, but never forget that Christ is your life. That's what he's saying. Christ is our life. This is not a Christ is first statement. This is scripture teaching us that Christ, it's, that this is a Christ-centered statement. Christ first and Christ-centered are two different things. I want you to know that Christ is not first. Christ is centered. If you put Christ first, I'm scared that you're not putting him third. And I'm scared that you're not putting him fourth. What I, what I mean by that is, if your business is third on the list, I'm scared that Christ is not third with your business. 
So when Christ is first in someone's life, it scares me. But when Christ is centered in someone's life, oh, it should thrill you. Why? Because that means that everything comes from that in which you're centered in. So if you have a family and if you have a business and if you're making money, everything branches from the center, which is Christ. So it's Christ in everything, not Christ first and then everything. That's the proper biblical view of Christ. He's not first in your life. He's never first in your life. I know I just blew some of you away because all of you have always said, Christ is number one in my life. Shame on you. Christ is centered in your life. And everything else comes from that center. I get what you mean, though, when you say Christ is number one. It's just a joke. But do you get it? Christ-centered. We live a Christ-centered life. Christ-centered statement. Omar said Christ is over everything, right? He's centered. He's, everything comes from Christ. So in our lives, Christ is not, listen to this, in our lives, Christ is not in the order of priorities. Please listen to that. He is centered in which all of our priorities live off of and from him. That's the reality of scripture. Practical instruction. So ready, everyone, you should write this down in your notes. If Christ is in my life, then what? Have you ever thought about that? If Christ is in your life, then what? Well, do you think Paul's going to leave you hanging? He loves you too much to leave you hanging. Jesus loves you too much to leave you hanging. If Christ is your life, then what? Let's, let's keep reading through scripture. Scripture just answers itself when you read it. Watch verse 5, 6, and 7. It's going to answer verses 3 and 4. Watch this. Verse 5. Everyone say, if Christ is in my life. Come on, a little bit louder. If Christ is in my life, verse 5, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. If Christ is in your life, so look at all these things. A lot of this stuff begins with sexual sin. It's attacking the believer that lives in sexual sin. Oh, I get that you're saying you're a believer, but you're also dwelling in sexual sin. If Christ is in your life, you need to deal with the sexuality that is not in the right place in your life. Like, Paul's just like telling us like, oh, okay. And then he goes on and he says, and, and greed for the greedy person, it's their idolaters, they worship the things of this world. I want you to see the danger of unaligned vision and mindset. He's going through that in verse five. Verse six, if Christ is in my life, right? So we, we read verse five. Verse six, because of these sins, because God is such an awesome God and God is like this, this, this uh, magical, mystical. No, he's not. God, because of these sins, sins the anger of God is coming. <laughs> you think God is happy with what happened last week? You think God is happy with some of the things that are happening in your personal life? No, I will say this. There's a God that I serve and those things that come against me, they need to be careful because the anger of God is real. Verse 7, you used to, I love that, you used to do these things. Because I'm talking to a bunch of believers or hopefully you're on the process of becoming a believer. You used to do these things. When your life was still part of this world, you used to do these things. When you lived in a world that was filled with evil power, remember how we started in 1 John? You used to be like that. You used to do these things. What, come on, you forgot already? You used to do uh, sinful, earthly things lurking within you, having sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. You were greedy. You worshipped other things in this world. You used to do these things. So there is no way that Jesus would walk in any of those things that we just read. 
in these sins. So if we identify and if I identify with Jesus, then I can't walk in these things either. I need to, listen, I get it. I got to hold myself accountable to my leader, to my pastor, to my wife, to my this. But, but at the end of it all, I have to hold myself accountable to the living word of God. And the word of God says Jesus does not identify with these things. So I can't either. I can't walk in these things. Every Christian is faced with this. Write this down. They're faced with a question. And I wanted to really stress this today. I'm not going to have time. Who will you identify with? Is it the world or is it with Jesus? And I think that's what Paul's doing with Colossae. I get the mystics went in there and they flipped your brain upside down. And you're doing some wacky things in the church. You need to really figure out if your mind is going to be on Christ or not. Who do you identify yourself with? The craziness of those Gnostics or you're going to really identify with the truth of scripture? I get it that he's addressing legalism. Oh, you identify with legalism in the traditions and the practices. But not in the truth of who Christ is and what he set you free from. So he's really drawing in and breaking down the, the fake holiness where people would cause pain and suffering upon themselves. To make themselves holier than others. That's called religious ascetism. And he says, what will you identify with? That? A false holiness? Seriously. Do we identify ourselves with a false holiness? Like, is your holiest day on earth Sunday mornings only? Your holiest days on earth has to be Tuesday night. Wednesday morning. Thursday midday. Friday at 5 o'clock when happy hour opens. I mean, your, your holiest day is every day. We live set apart, consecrated. You have a good time, you're fun, you're not weird, you're not living in a rock. You are good. You are actually, if you study, a true Christian, a true believer is actually attracting, attracting the sinful from this world to them because they see the difference. It's not weird to be a Christian. It's actually extremely attractive. The light of Christ, the truth of scripture is attracting. It's honey. It's, look how it's described. Honey, milk, water. All that stuff is good. What? Yeah, light. All that stuff is good stuff. It's not weird. It's not awful. It's not, ugh, I'm a Christian. Now it's so boring. Be a Christian and it should be the most thrilling time ever. The things that you go through, the things that you have to juggle and handle, it's amazing. Who do you identify with, the world or with Christ? You with me? This should be the past for all of us. Look closely at verse 7. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Maybe you're there today watching or here. And like, I don't know if I should really commit myself to Jesus. Well, you're at that place. You're thinking about maybe leaving that world. But for those that have jumped and said, I'm giving my life to the Lord, you used to do these things. Paul writes to those in Colossae. Reminding them you once were controlled by these things, but no longer are you controlled. You have abandoned that lifestyle. How many of you have abandoned a certain lifestyle in your life? A true Christian cannot be comfortable with um, sin or habitual sin. That you, you do it constantly. What are you trying to say? A Christian won't sin? Absolutely they will. We will. I will. Right now. In the next minute. It's going to happen. I'm going to sin. But habitual sin is different. The planning it out, the purpose, the habit of sinning, the lifestyle of sinning is what it's drawing us out of. So as a Christian, you're not a perfect man, but you are becoming a perfected man. And Paul is writing them. You were once controlled. You've abandoned this. 
you're not comfortable with habitual sin. Paul says that Christians once walked in these sins. It is possible, it could be tragic, though tragic, that these sins should occasionally, it marks us, it hits us, we struggle in the Christian life, but they must not be a believer, a Christian's walk. It must not be the manner in which we live. We're called to live, walk a manner worthy. Verse eight and nine, because I'm running out of time. But now, but now I ran out of time, holy cow. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Amen. All of these little, oh, but those are little sins. No, Paul says, whether they're little or big sins. Oh, at least it's not murder. At least it's not, um, 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 I don't know, adultery. But no, get rid of anger and rage. The person that says, I just struggle with anger. Well, guess what? Paul says, get rid of it. Because that's the excuse is running short on time. Like, anger is only going to get you so far. Rage is only going to get you so far. Your behavior, your malicious behavior, your slander, your dirty language. Oh, it's just like I struggle with bad words. Well, guess what? Get rid of it. Because you'll see that God will start taking you off. Like, it's not going to work out for you. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked. All these things, get rid of it. Not just that, but guard it. Guard your tongue. Don't be the one that starts these fires and puts wood into these fires, but be one that brings peace and solution to the issues. And Paul is con confronting the church. What does James 1 say? James 1, 26, if anyone among you thinks that he's a religious person and does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, and this one's religious is useless. The man who says the Christian but can't control their tongue is a useless Christian. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Be careful how you speak about those of the faith. Be careful how you speak about your loved ones. Be careful because you're religious. Your religion is useless then. I mean, it's scripture. It's not me. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end here. Verse 10, he says, put on your new nature, be renewed as you learn, right? Renewing knowledge, remember what I said, to know your creator, to become like him, put on your new. That's a very important phrase in the Greek. It means put on new garments, remove dirty ones that, were, that you had on. None of you stayed with the same garments that you've been wearing yesterday. You all took a shower, got dressed with fresh clothes, same thing spiritually. We're no longer clothed in the old man that controlled us the master, which is Satan, we're now clothed in the new man, a new master. We have the spirit of God that lives in us. Amen? In this new life, verse 11, it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, free. Christ is all that matters. He lives in all of us. And I'm going to end with reading, and I'm going to finish all these things next week. But I'm going to finish reading verses 12 to 17, and we're done. We're going to play some music in the background, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me now. But as we get to verses 11 through 17, I'm going to go into this next week. But I want you to hear this. Because verses 11, verse 11, coming into verses 12 through 17 is so important. Because next week, we're going to continue to look at what it looks like to be this new man, how we operate. And if we have verse 11, what it says, this new life. Look at verse 12 through 17 as I close. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, with what? 
He doesn't give excuse for your anger and for your malice. He doesn't give excuse for your slander and your dirty language. He says, if you're, if you're in Christ and you're dressed new, then this is what it looks like. You clothe yourself now with tender hearts. The hardest thing for me to see is Christians that do not have a tender heart. Oh my God, it drives me nuts when I see Christians like fight against each other and have a tender heart. If you're going to do it with anyone, with each other, have a tender heart. Have a tender heart with those that are in this world so we can win them. Mercy, kindness, humility, be humble. Have gentleness, be patient. Listen, if you do life with me long enough, you'll know one thing for sure. If you're not patient with me, in a week, you're not going to like me. So if you're not patient, then I'm the wrong friend to have in your life. But I, if you walk close with me, you'll know that I'm patient though. I'll be patient with you. That's what God's called us to be. Patient with one another, gentle. Look at verse 13, make allowance. We'll get into this next week. Make allowance for each other's faults. How many of you have faults? How many of you will probably continue to have faults next week? So I make allowance for each other's faults. I forgive the one who offends. Remember that the Lord also forgave you. If he forgave you, you need to forgive others. Verse 14, above all, here he is. He continues to talk about clothing. What do you think is going on in Colossae? I think they're getting dressed improperly. So here is, I, I know I wanted to save this for next week, but here is the designer, Paul, and he's redesigning the way they dress. And what does he do? He says, you put the wrong clothes on. Look what he says now. He's, he's literally, what a beautiful man Paul is. He's literally putting the garments of Christ upon them. He's dressing the Christian. And look what he says next. He says, clothe yourselves with love. When love is not in a believer's heart, the opposite of this happens. So look at this. Why do you and I need love? Because love is what binds us together. When we stop loving each other, guess what? We begin, we begin to be divided towards each other. You love one another. Well, I've had it with them. And Jesus could have said the same thing about you. I've had it with her. I've had it with him. I know he could have said, I've had it with me. I'm the first one to admit that. How he still loves me is un unimaginable. You love, it binds us in perfect harmony. The divisions within churches is because there's not a love of Christ that is bringing perfect harmony amongst family, amongst friends. Verse 15, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you're called to live in peace. Always be thankful, church. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness, let it fill your lives. Come on, Christ is your life. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. We'll break this down. And whatever you do, whatever you say, do it as an ambassador. Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks through him to God the Father. How many of you can say amen? Jesus centered. Jesus over. Because Jesus is versus everything and Jesus wins and destroys all that he competes with. It's Jesus centered and everything comes from him. Can you stand with me this morning? Lord, I thank you as we're here today. Today was a little different. 
but today is the way that you wanted it to be. And if today is the day that you wanted it to be just for one person, then you know what? It was worth it. It was worth it for that one person. But after everything that we just read and we'll continue next week, if there's anyone here that Christ, you're not the center of it. I pray that today, Christ Jesus, that you would be the center of their lives. Today that you would put on the new garments and that you would remove them from old filthy garments. Today, as my son says, and he needs some discipleship, I get it. We'll work on that, Lord. But as my son says, basketball is life. I pray that every single one of us here listening, watching this, will watch this, will also say, from this day forward, Christ is life. And that truth would rip transform their lives forever. I thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the book, to the, the believers in Colossae because it's doing such a work to the believers at Nest. And I believe it's calling us to a deeper, greater place of truth in Christ, in his word, and in holiness. And I pray that we would never falter and walk away from this, but that we would live in its obedience for the rest of our lives. In this dark present age, that we would be the light and the hope of hopelessness amongst hopelessness, that we would have the understanding in the time that we're living in of who we're called to be. And I pray that chapter three may have started to at least present that to every single one of us. We thank you for this time, time of prayer, time of worship, time of the word. We thank you for such a beautiful day like today. Let us have a beautiful rest of the weekend. We love you. We honor you. It's in Jesus Christ. Come on, beloved. In Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. I hope you're blessed today, amen.